Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome into episode 131 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Pleased to be joining you guys once again. It all comes down to tonight. One last race, one last chance to make the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. That's right. The regular season concludes tonight at Daytona International Speedway. Pleased to be joining you guys once again on the Jake's Take podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And so much has happened ever since our last show, the day before Pocono Raceway. And we're going to get into the craziness that was at Pocono, the resurgence of RFK Racing, Noah Gregson being indefinitely suspended by NASCAR, Bubba Wallace trying to make the playoffs for the first time in his NASCAR Cup Series career, some streaks that are on the line tonight at Daytona, teamwork or team orders, what is going to happen tonight? And of course, the biggest story going into tonight, revolving around NASCAR's most popular driver, the number nine of Chase Elliott. Will this be the first time in his career that he misses the playoffs? So originally on this podcast, I was going to talk about the craziness that was at Pocono Raceway. But this afternoon at two o'clock, Kurt Busch posted a video on Twitter and Instagram. And as soon as I saw the video, and as soon as it talked about in the caption about thank you and your dreams, it was what I expected it to be. Unfortunately, this afternoon, Kurt Busch announced that after 23 seasons as a race car driver and in the NASCAR Cup Series, he and his doctors have unfortunately come to the conclusion that there are too many obstacles for Kurt Busch to overcome in his recovery. And with that being said, he is now officially retired from NASCAR. And what I hoped wouldn't happen last year, July 23rd at Pocono Raceway, as he was coming to take the green on his qualifying lap and then lost the back of the car down in turn three and hit the wall passenger side, even though it didn't really look all that bad. I mean, it was a hell of a hit. But you figured, okay, it sucks. It's unfortunate. He's going to have to start at the back. But he's one of the very best there is when it comes to Pocono Raceway. And that very next day, as my fiance Kelly and I were on our way to Pocono Raceway and got pulled in and parked, I looked at my phone and I had a text message from Sean Rosansky. Ty Gibbs will be in the 45 car today at Pocono. And like I've talked about so many times on the show over the past year, it immediately gave me those Dale Earnhardt Jr. 2016 vibes. And Pocono, Indianapolis, Michigan, Richmond, Watkins Glen, week after week after week, Kurt not receiving that medical clearance from Mickey Collins at UPMC in Pittsburgh. And then ultimately coming to the decision to withdraw his playoff waiver. And then the press conference, October 15th at his home track, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where he announced that he would no longer be a full-time NASCAR Cup Series racer. You still held out some sort of hope that maybe one day Kurt Busch would be able to get back behind the wheel of a NASCAR Cup Series car and go out on his own terms, whether it could have been at Daytona, Indianapolis, or even Pocono, 
you couldn't think of a more poetic justice there could have been if Kurt Busch would have been given that opportunity to wheel a cup car one last time at Pocono. And unfortunately today, Kurt Busch has now suffered the same fate as Bobby Allison did in 1988 to have his career abruptly cut short because of a crash at Pocono Raceway. And it's been an incredible journey and easily a first ballot Hall of Fame career when you look at Kurt Busch, our 2004 NASCAR Cup Series champion. And the final numbers for Kurt Busch's career, 776 starts in the NASCAR Cup Series from Dover, September of 2000 to New Hampshire in July of 2022. 34 NASCAR Cup Series wins, 25th most all-time. The first coming at Bristol Motor Speedway in March of 2002, and the last coming at Kansas Speedway in May of 2022. 161 top five finishes, 25th most all-time as well. His first coming on April 1st, 2001 at Texas Motor Speedway, and the last coming in June of 2022 at Nashville Super Speedway. 339 top 10s, 15th most all-time, the first coming at Atlanta Motor Speedway in March of 2001, and his last being in his last cup race, a 10th place finish at New Hampshire in July of 2022. 10,292 laps led, 21st most all-time, and 497 lead lap finishes, 6th most most all-time. For Kurt Busch, our 2004 NASCAR Cup Series champion, the 2017 Daytona 500 champion, the 2010 Coca-Cola 600 champion. Without a doubt, his legacy has been cemented in this sport, and he will go down as a first ballot NASCAR Hall of Famer come 2026 when he is finally eligible to go in. And Kurt spoke with the media just a little earlier today at Daytona International Speedway, and As he walked out of the press conference, he gave a big hug to his younger brother, Kyle. And he said, I've taught you everything I know. And without a doubt, Kurt and Kyle Busch, the most successful brothers in NASCAR history. Three championships between the two of them. And also, when you look at the amount of wins between the two of them, 34 for Kurt and 63 for Kyle, that's 97 total wins. Three more than the second most on the list, which are the Allison brothers. 84 by Bobby and 10 by Donnie. So it's unfortunate for Kurt Busch to end his career in a way that nobody expected or a way that he didn't deserve. But I think what stands out in Kurt Busch's career and his legacy is how when he came into the sport in 2000... Early on, he was very brash. He was aggressive. He was outspoken. And while a lot of people loved it, a lot of people hated it, too. I mean, you look at when he wrecked Dale Earnhardt Jr. in one of his first cup races at Rockingham in October of 2000. And how Dale Jr. came back out on the track and tried to wreck him a whole bunch of times as his uncle Tony Uri Sr. was chewing him out over the radio. And also the end of an era where Kurt Busch was the last active driver that was racing against Dale Earnhardt Sr. on that fateful day at Daytona, February 18th, 2001. And as far as we know, 
the last driver to get the middle finger from Dale Earnhardt Sr. But he had the success early on. His first win at Bristol when he knocked Jimmy Spencer out of the way, and that prompted one of the biggest rivalries in NASCAR history, which led to Jimmy punching him in the garage area at Michigan in August of 2003 and ultimately being suspended the following weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. And Kurt won that championship early on in 2004, but obviously with the controversy and with the the rivalries and the feuds, a lot of people hated him. And you look at how that attitude early on, how it cost him his right at Roush, how it cost him his right at Penske. And Kurt said really more than anything, he just wanted to have fun and race. And this was about the time, late 2000s, early 2010s, where NASCAR became extremely corporate. We're now, and I understand, if it wasn't for the sponsors, none of this would be possible. And Kurt said that he just wanted to race and focus on that. And he remembered in 2011, his last year at Penske, when he won the the first Daytona 500 qualifying race, how his sponsor was Shell Pennzoil, and he was showing off a Shell Pennzoil gas card in Victory Lane, And NASCAR, with their official fuel being Sunoco, they were pretty pissed off at him about it. And you saw how going to these smaller teams like James Finch in 2012, Furniture Row in 2013, how much that humbled him and how he quickly became very humble, very down to earth and just having more fun and appreciating what he did. And over the past 10, 11 years, we've seen... I wouldn't say a softer Kurt Busch, but a more mature Kurt Busch. And once we finally saw that personality, I guess you could say a softer side to him. It was just so refreshing to see. It was just so refreshing to see him be able to handle those tough situations in such a calm and professional way like he wasn't able to at the very beginning of his career. So Kurt Busch, thank you so much for all you did for the sport how exciting you made the sport one of the very best there was at Pocono Raceway three wins at Pocono Raceway July of 2005 August of 2007 June of 2016 and how ironic Bobby Allison who also had his career cut short at Pocono in 1988 Bobby had three wins at Pocono as well and drove for Miller so definitely the end of an era in NASCAR folks I've been going to Pocono Raceway for 20 years. July of 2003 was my first time there. And obviously not being able to go in 2020, but regardless, I've had so many great times and so many great memories at Pocono Raceway. But this one in 2023, I cannot think of a time that was more wild and more crazy with all the action that went on that weekend at Pocono Raceway. And when you look at the NASCAR Xfinity race that Saturday, how Josh Berry in the eight car, how dominant that he was, he led over half the race. And ultimately on that last restart, when he and his teammate Sam Mayer, the two of them made contact and it cut Josh's tire going down in the tunnel turn and he wrecked. And there was Austin Hill to take advantage and score his fourth win of the season. And the cup race on Sunday at Pocono Raceway, just seeing... The aggression that there was, the tempers that there were. I cannot think of a more crazier race that I've been to in person than this one at Pocono Raceway. And I mean, you look at 
Joey Logano when he was wrecked going down in a turn one and he was mouthing off at the tow truck driver. Hook it up to the fucking thing. Couldn't have happened to a nicer person seeing his day end early. But you saw a lot of tempers. I've never seen so many temper tantrums at Pocono Raceway like I did this year. The three of Austin Dillon going down in the turn one, cutting off his old teammate Tyler Reddick, and ultimately blaming Tyler when the wreck was his fault. And Austin Dillon getting out of his car and chucking his helmet at Tyler Reddick's car and not even hitting anything. Totally missed Tyler Reddick's car. And I think what pisses me off in that scenario was he came down on Tyler Reddick. He didn't own up to it. Oh, my old teammate wrecked me. And you get, of course, his grandfather mouthing off and making a big scene out of it like he usually does. Back in 2014, when the unfortunate incident happened in New York with Tony Stewart and Kevin Ward Jr., it wasn't long after that that NASCAR implemented a rule. If you're crashed, you do not walk out onto that racetrack, no matter how pissed off you are. And for Austin to walk out onto that track, yeah, I know they're running around under caution, but to walk out on that track and chuck his helmet at Tyler Reddick's car, and yeah, didn't even didn't even come close to hitting the car. There is no doubt in my mind, Austin Dillon should have been fine and had some amount of points taken away from it. So for him to not be fined, not be deducted any points, you're, there's no message. There's nothing that you gain out of it. And I guess it also shows the, the pull that his grandfather has in NASCAR as well. And it just amazed me when you saw how treacherous turn one was. When you look at Kyle Larson, when he barely backed the car into the wall going down in a turn one on that restart, and he had a shot to win there at the very end. And of course, that's where we pick it up on all the chaos. And I guess you could say Pocono was Denny Hamlin versus Hendrick Motorsports, depending on who you ask. And Alex Bowman, to his credit, was having a very, very strong run at Pocono Raceway, running third with just a few laps to go, holding off Denny Hamlin. They go down into turn three. Denny is close enough behind Alex Bowman that he gets him arrow loose. Doesn't touch him, gets him arrow loose, and Alex spins up the track and backs it into the wall. And then immediately... Alex Bowman and his spotter Kevin Hamlin, they're like, they're like, ah, Denny wrecked us. No, Alex, you wrecked yourself. I mean, this is what we're talking about with these rich kids in NASCAR. They're, it's always somebody else's fault. There's no accountability. You don't own up. You always blame somebody else. And, of course, it didn't help that, you know, Kevin Hamlin and Blake Harris, that they were basically keying Alex up as well. And making it sound like, oh yeah, Denny wrecked it. He ran over you. When in reality, you just lost it by yourself. But the battle between Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson was absolutely spectacular. And that's where we pick it up with seven laps to go. As they're going down into turn one, Denny is up alongside of Kyle Larson. Larson on the top. Denny about half a groove lower. And as they came off a of turn one, 
Denny, he's crowding him, crowding him, crowding him. Larson hits the wall coming off of the corner. Now, do I have a problem with the way that Denny Hamlin raced Kyle Larson? Honestly, I don't. Because, as we've seen lately with this next-gen car, clean air is king everywhere we go. Whether it's Pocono, Richmond, Michigan. Well, Richmond's more tires. But especially the road courses like Indianapolis and Watkins Glen, how you pretty much cannot pass anyone there. Denny Hamlin knew if he wants to win this race, he cannot have Kyle Larson clear him off off of turn one because if he does, it's goodbye to the rest of the field by Kyle Larson. And I think ultimately, I guess you could say there's a hypocrisy when it comes to Hendrick Motorsports fans. And that's what we witnessed at Pocono Raceway. As they're riding around under caution, how Kyle Larson fences Denny Hamlin into the wall on the front stretch, and everyone's like, yeah, go Larson, fuck you, Denny. And if that was the other way around, you know every Hendrick Motorsports fan in the book would be calling for Denny Hamlin to be penalized, to be suspended, just like they already were when he and Alex Bowman got together at Chicago. Oh, Denny Hamlin should be suspended. It's racing. You're Denny hydroplane into Alex. Like he really went into that corner thinking, I'm just going to drive straight and take Alex out. But Hendrick hypocrisy is what you could say. I think the biggest problem that I had with Pocono was with two laps to go. When Ryan Priest gets spun by Corey LaJoy going down into the tunnel turn, and he's sitting in the middle, in the coming out of the short shoot, he's sitting there trying to refire the car. The car won't fire. And I remember I turned to Kelly and I said, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to go to overtime. And I could not believe it as I saw Denny Hamlin come off of turn three, totally expecting to see the yellow flag waved. Instead, I'm seeing the white flag waved. Like, I couldn't believe it. He's sitting in the freaking short shoot, knowing these cars are going to be zipping by 160, 170, 180 miles an hour. He's sitting there, and you still have the green flag out. And then finally, it took NASCAR, what, about 15, 20 seconds later, they, they finally throw the caution flag, and the race is over? I mean, really? And, you know, Jeff Burton... Obviously, we know how much of a safety advocate that Jeff Burton is. You know, he said they had no choice. They had to throw the caution. And he's like, oh, a lot of fans are not happy. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, there's other reasons why they're not happy. And it was pretty much that 11 car. So Denny Hamlin would win at Pocono Raceway, the 50th win of his career and his record-breaking Seventh Pocono win, breaking that tie with Jeff Gordon. And I have never in my life, I went to a lot of races back in the early 2000s when Jeff Gordon was hated and would see and hear all the boos, all the middle fingers. These were the loudest boos I've ever heard in my life for Denny Hamlin. All because he raced a Hendrick Motorsports car hard for the win, God forbid. And I loved the way that Denny handled it when he went on Instagram the next day and posted all these photos 
of all these fans, mainly Hendrick fans, giving him middle fingers as he's doing his burnouts. And he said, I appreciate all the love and all the 11s that I saw in the stands yesterday. Folks, whether you like Denny Hamlin or you hate Denny Hamlin, Jason Boone said it best. Denny Hamlin is what the sport needs. That's the personality that we need. And it baffles me how he gets criticized. Like, that's the thing. Like, all these fans, oh, we need personalities in the sport. We need personalities in the sport. Denny Hamlin shows a personality. Oh, my God. Denny Hamlin, he's cocky. He's arrogant. But yet, Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman, and even Larson to a degree, they have personalities of a handball. It's... And... I don't feel like Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson, I don't feel like this situation has gotten any better. And how Kyle Larson said in his interview at Pocono with Kim Cooney, said, oh, Denny's always right. You ask any of our golf buddies, he's always right. And it blows my mind how Denny Hamlin, the following week, could go to his home track, Richmond, Virginia, 15 minutes from where he grew up in Chesterfield, and he's getting booed at his home track. Because he raced a Hendrick car hard. And then the same thing at Martinsville in 2021, another one of his home tracks, when Alex Bowman goes down in a turn three and just flat out dumps Denny Hamlin for the lead and the win. People are cheering as Denny's backing it into the fence. And as he's doing his interview and he's calling Alex Bowman a hack and saying how terrible he is and how he gets his ass kicked by his teammates, Denny Hamlin is getting booed at his home tracks. I mean, thou shalt not say anything bad about a Hendrick driver. It's unbelievable. And I think the biggest problem that I had with the end of that Pocono race is, like they were saying, like one of the excuses could have been, oh, well, you know, USA, they had already been on the air later than they expected to, and they had to sign off. That's bullshit. That shows right then and there. NASCAR could claim that they care about the safety of the drivers and whatnot. That shows that they really don't care. You're going to keep the green flag out for close to a minute, if not over that, while Ryan Priest is sitting there trying to refire his car. I mean, that, that's really the only bad thing I could say about, about the finish at Pocono. That race should have gone to overtime. There's, there's no other way or no other excuse around it. Once we left Pocono, what has really stood out to me as tonight is the regular season finale at Daytona. We always talk about who's done amazing and who's been disappointing this year. Now, in NASCAR, you don't really have these manufacturer battles or pride that you did in the 70s with Richard Petty and Dodge and David Pearson and Mercury and Kale Yarbrough and Chevrolet. You don't really see that nowadays. But it's obvious for these manufacturers who are their top teams or their top priorities. And for close to 30 years, obviously Chevrolet's top priority has been Hendrick Motorsports. And when you look at Toyota, obviously it's been Joe Gibbs Racing for the past 15 years. With Ford, Ford, it's been more of a mystery, I guess you could say, over the past 30 years or so. 
I mean, you had the Wood Brothers in the 70s and the 80s. Then you had Harry Melling's team, the 9th team, and Bill Elliott. Then they sort of fell apart. Then it became Junior Johnson. But really, Ford's top team and top priority, you can make the argument for a majority of the 90s, was Roush Racing. And obviously, they fell way, way behind over the past decade or so as far as technology, finances, letting so many drivers and so many sponsors walk out the door, it's safe to say that Jack Roush just didn't keep up with the current state of the sport and the technology. And let's face it, sometimes not really willing to spend the money that a Rick Hendrick or a Joe Gibbs or a Roger Penske would. What has made such a difference in Roush over these past two seasons has been none other than Brad Keselowski. Now, Roush, obviously, as they declined in the early 2010s, then Team Penske obviously became Ford's top team or top priority. Then they've obviously had a threat the past, I'd say, six years, obviously, with Stuart Haas being a really, really good team for Ford. But when Jack Roush came to Brad Keselowski early in, 20, early in 2021 and presented him this offer to come to Roush Fenway and to take over the six car and to have an ownership stake, which is the reason why Brad Keselowski left Team Penske, because Roger didn't want to give him an ownership stake, just like Rick Hendrick has given Jeff Gordon at Hendrick Motorsports. When Brad Keselowski was finally released from his contract at Team Penske at the end of the 2021 season and was finally given the right to go over to Roush Fenway. Chris Buescher said that you could see a change immediately in the culture, the shop, the way that things were. And Brad said, like, he went in there in November of 2021 and saw a lot of old junk that had been sitting around for probably close to two decades, just collecting dust. And little by little, got rid of this, got rid of that. And Chris even said, like December of 2021, walking into the shop, seeing these brand new, clean and pristine floors in the shop. That's the impact that Brad Keselowski has had. Just those little things, that attention to detail, like you could clearly tell that Brad picked up on and learned a lot of things from those 12 years of Team Penske and has been applying it to the culture at what is now RFK, Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. And last year was a struggle with this next-gen car, with Brad Keselowski missing the playoffs for the first time since 2013. But towards the end of 2022, you could clearly tell that Brad and Chris that they were on to something. Obviously, look at Bristol. They would have finished 1-2 at Bristol if Brad's tire didn't go down that night. And ever since we, we got to Daytona back in February, it has been so obvious. Even though Joey Logano won Atlanta, even though Ryan Blaney won the Coca-Cola 600, it is obvious that Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing is the top team in Ford. I mean, it was kind of bullish early on in the year to say it, but, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a cold, hard fact right now. And when you look at Richmond, when you look at Richmond and seeing Brad Keselowski out there leading 102 laps 
and looking like this was finally going to be the day that he was going to get his first win as an owner-driver. And he comes in for his last pit stop and nearly spins out, sliding into his box. And Chris Buescher is there to take advantage and score the win. And then going to Michigan International Speedway, Brad's home track the following weekend. And you know my gripe with Matt McCall. He's a good crew chief, but if they want to go far in the playoffs, if they want to win races, he's got to take chances. And you saw it at the end of that Michigan race. Chris Buescher and Scott Graves, they take two tires. Martin Trex Jr. and James Small, two tires. Brad Keselowski comes in for his last pit stop, four freaking tires. And he finishes fourth behind Chris Buescher, Martin Trex Jr., and Denny Hamlin. But it's so good and so relieving that last Sunday at Watkins Glen with that 15th place finish, Brad Keselowski officially clinched his spot in the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. And what a turnaround. When Brad took over that sixth team after Ryan Newman left at the end of 2021, God love Ryan Newman, but obviously he wasn't the same after that horrible night in the 2020 Daytona 500. Thank God he survived. But Ryan Newman's final full-time season in 2021, the sixth team finished 28th in owner points. 28th. And I know 2022 wasn't any better. They finished 24th in points. Brad had one top five. It was a fifth at Homestead Miami Speedway and six top tens. But look at his stats so far in 2023. Five top fives, the second place finish at Atlanta, 10 top tens, and 253 laps led so far this year. And unfortunately for Brad Keselowski, those 253 laps led, those are the most by any driver in the NASCAR Cup Series this year that hasn't won. And hopefully, and I mean hopefully, it changes tonight. But while we were at Michigan International Speedway, another thing that I will never forget. So that Saturday, as my fiance Kelly and I, as we were getting our engagement photos done, and we finished up and we were, we were just about ready to go get something to eat for lunch, I went onto my phone, I went on Twitter, because I knew that practice at Michigan International Speedway was about to start in just a few minutes. And all of a sudden I pull up Twitter and I see a statement from Noah Gregson. And he talked about, I apologize for what I have done. I apologize for my judgment. And I fully understand and support Legacy Motor Club's decision to suspend me from the weekend at Michigan. I'm thinking, what the hell happened? And here it was Noah Gregson on Instagram liking a meme now, in Finding Nemo, Sebastian the Crab, I guess there was a song like Under the Sea, Under the Sea, and here someone had photoshopped Sebastian's head out and put George Floyd on there, and it said Under the Knee, Under the Knee. And no matter what, no matter how you feel about this whole situation, this is just the latest example of Noah Gregson not using his head. He's a good kid. He's 25 years old. He showed last year when he won those eight Xfinity races for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly Earnhardt Miller. He showed 
the talent and the potential that he has. But you also saw really the, the, the immaturity. And I mean, these have just been, it's just been one example after another. And ultimately, it wasn't long after that that NASCAR came out and indefinitely suspended Noah Gregson. And I think the timing of this was, and I fully support Legacy and NASCAR's decision to suspend Noah, but like I talked to Josh Manley and like I talked to Jason Boone about, the timing of all of this just seemed way too coincidental. Because just a few days before this, there was a report out that John Hunter Nemechek was possibly going to take over the 42 car at Legacy in 2024. And also, as you guys know, there was all this talk that Martin Trex Jr. was thinking about retiring after 2023. And if he would have, obviously, the 19 car would have gone to John Hunter Nemechek. And wouldn't you know it, about two hours after Noah Gregson was indefinitely suspended by NASCAR... Martin Trex Jr. announces that he's coming back for 2024. That was just odd timing in itself. And then on Tuesday, you saw how Jim Utter, I believe it was Jim Utter or Jordan Bianchi, I forget who it was, but you saw that Tuesday morning that, oh, Noah Gregson, a legacy that they have parted ways. And then all of a sudden, an hour later, legacy comes out and retracts it. But at that point, you figure, look, the damage has already been done. There's no point in keeping Noah. He's going to miss the playoffs. He didn't even come close to beating Ty Gibbs for rookie of the year. Like, cut your losses, move on, and help Noah focus on being reinstated by NASCAR and getting his career back on track. And then Thursday morning was when Noah Gregson asked for his release from Legacy Motor Club, and that was it. It's like Brett Griffin said on Door Bumper Clear. I mean, now we live in a world of social media. And for a lot of these drivers, they've got to realize that there are social media clauses and morality clauses in these contracts. And if they violate them, regardless of how you feel, that they could be terminated at any given moment. And unfortunately, you know, Noah's got to suffer the consequences for it. Now, I don't know where he goes from here. You know, everyone thought like, oh, well, he could just go back to Junior Motorsports in 2024, but Brandon Jones announced that he'll be back in the nine car for Junior Motorsports in 2024. Obviously, you still have the eight car that's open for next year. Dale Jr. and Kelly, they haven't announced who is going to take Josh Berry's seat next year. Could be Carson Hosevar. Could be their nephew, Jeffrey Earnhardt. Obviously, Bass Pro Shops is on that car. You know, you, you put two and two together. Oh, Bass Pro Shops, they sponsor Noah, just get the band back together. But it's not that easy. There was even a rumor going around earlier this week that Justin Allgaier could have been leaving for calling to go up to the Cup Series. I haven't heard anything since then. But Dale Jr. said it when asked on the Dale Jr. download about Noah. And he said, Noah really needs to... Once he's reinstated, he needs to look at what his options are for 2024. And if that's the truck series or the Xfinity series, even the cup series, honestly, if I were Noah, I wouldn't even worry about the cup series for at least another year or two. 
But Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, if Noah gets an opportunity to drive one of the best trucks in the sport, like, say, Thor Sport, for instance, compared to, say, a 10th place car in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, get in that truck. Go back, have fun, win races, regain your confidence more than anything, rebuild your image. And then maybe you could get these opportunities to come along in 2025 and beyond. I think besides Chase Elliott going into tonight at Daytona, I think the other one that is drawn a lot of attention and a lot of headlines is the driver that right now holds down the final playoff spot in 16th. And that's the 23 of Bubba Wallace. And there has been a lot of interesting things going on with Denny Hamlin, Joe Gibbs Racing, and 23XI lately. And what I mean by that is Denny Hamlin still does not have a contract for 2024 with Joe Gibbs Racing. And they're saying that, oh, they're, they're close and they're close to getting a deal done and so on and so forth. But this is the same bullshit you heard last year with Kyle Busch. Oh, yeah, we're close. We should get a deal done. We want Kyle here for a long time. And then month, month and a half later, he's announcing that he's going to RCR in 2023. There was a rumor last weekend at Watkins Glen that Denny Hamlin and 2311, that they have been talking to Ford Motor Company because everything lines up. Denny Hamlin's contract with Joe Gibbs Racing is up at the end of 2023. And 23XI, their contracts with Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing are also up at the end of 2023. And obviously, there's the conflict of interest. You know, oh, well, Denny can't own a Ford team and then be racing for a Toyota team. And I mean, who knows? Like, maybe this could just be leverage on Denny Hamlin's part to obviously get a better deal and more money out of his time at Joe Gibbs Racing. Because Denny has made it obvious that he wants to finish his career with one team and with one sponsor, the 11 Joe Gibbs team with FedEx. But you've noticed how FedEx has gradually scaled back on their races this year. So I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. But at least Bubba Wallace and Tyler Reddick, at least they have had a previous relationship with Ford when Bubba drove for Roush in the Xfinity Series from 2015 to 2017, made his cup debut at Pocono, driving the 43 for Richard Petty when they were still with Ford, and had a lot of good runs in that car, like finishing 11th at Daytona and Kentucky, and then ultimately they switched to Chevrolet and you saw how horrible they were. So I, I don't really know what to expect out of Denny Hamlin, but... If, unfortunately, he can't finish his career at Joe Gibbs Racing, 18 years there, 19 if you want to count the Bush Series, that would be such a huge gain for Ford to gain Denny Hamlin, Bubba Wallace, Tyler Reddick, and Michael Jordan, to have them be a part of their brand. And it definitely would be weird to see Denny Hamlin in a Ford. But he said that, obviously, 50 wins, and 47 of them have come with Toyota, so... Hopefully they could get a deal done, but I'm starting to get these 2022 Kyle Busch vibes. But for Bubba Wallace, you can make the argument 
that this past Sunday at Watkins Glen was probably the biggest race of his career. We know Bubba, we know about his struggles on road courses. He is not a Chase Elliott or Jeff Gordon. And going into Sunday at Watkins Glen, his best finish in a cup car at Watkins Glen was 23rd back in 2021. And one of my favorite quotes by Dale Earnhardt Jr. after he ran out of gas on the last lap of Las Vegas in 2014 while he was leading and had to settle for a second behind Brad Keselowski, he said, the only way to be productive is to be positive. And for Bubba, he could have had the same mentality Dale Earnhardt Jr. did early on in his career about road courses, like, oh, I hate them, I suck at them, but at the same time, I know that I could get better at them. And he talked to Tyler Reddick, his teammate, who won at Circuit of the Americas earlier this year. He talked to Scott Dixon, six IndyCar championships, all the success that he's had on road courses. And Bubba went in there with a positive mindset that entire weekend, just barely missed the the final round of qualifying, qualified 12th, ran solidly in the top 10 all day, and finished 12th, but gained a lot of stage points in stage one and stage two. And it was just so refreshing to see Bubba so happy and so excited, even after a 12th place finish. And Denny Hamlin said on his podcast, like this, this year, but these past several months especially, he's noticed a lot of maturity in Bubba Wallace. He's noticed his dedication, his focus, he, his mental toughness. He's definitely grown this year. And Denny said, you know, obviously his work ethic is one thing, his camaraderie with Booty Barker, with Tyler Reddick, with Denny. And he said also, getting married on New Year's Eve to Amanda, how much of a difference that has made for Bubba Wallace. And, you know, going into tonight, honestly, it's Daytona, and pretty much anyone can win, obviously. But I think for a lot of people, love him or hate him, but I think for a lot of people, you want to see Bubba Wallace finally make the playoffs after a long, grueling struggle like he had the first few years of his, his career when he was driving that 43 for Richard Petty. And obviously, if Bubba does make the playoffs tonight, he would be the first African-American in NASCAR history to make the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Now, he has made the playoffs before in the NASCAR Xfinity Series in 2015 and 2016, but obviously this would be his first time in the Cup Series. And like Kelly and I talked about, obviously, with her being a Bubba Wallace fan, regardless of what happens tonight, if he wins or finishes second and there's a new winner and he gets knocked out, regardless, you've definitely seen an improvement in Bubba Wallace, the driver, and Bubba Wallace, the person, this year. And Denny said, you know, the hypothetical that you think about being a Joe Gibbs driver and owning 23XI. If it's the last lap tonight, and it's Bubba Wallace and Ty Gibbs side-by-side for the lead and the win coming off of turn four, and Denny Hamlin is running third, who do you go with? Do you go with the car that you own, or do you go with your teammate? And without any hesitation, Denny Hamlin said, I'm going with Bubba because I own that car. My name is on that company and that building. And also, from a monetary perspective as well, If 23XI has two cars in the playoffs instead of just Tyler Reddick, obviously that is such a huge financial gain for the organization moving forward. I mean, 
Michael Waltrip talked about it a number of years ago when Clint Boyer made the playoffs, but Martin Trex Jr. didn't. With one car making it and the other car missing it, how much money the organization lost out on. So you got to take that into consideration. And like Denny talked about, he said, look, my teammate Ty Gibbs, he's 20 years old. He's talented. He's got a really, really bright future ahead of him. And he's done a remarkable job this year as a rookie. I mean, he got his first top five finish at Pocono. Got a top five at Watkins Glen. But at the end of the day, you got to look out for your team and your organization. And he said, if Joe and Ty have a problem with it, come talk to me about it. And obviously, you know, like you think, whoa, how dare Denny? But at the end of the day, I don't fault him. It's his company. It's his driver. You know, I mean, apples and oranges, but Dale Earnhardt Sr. Obviously, when you, I don't even want to talk about it, but the 2001 Daytona 500. When you look at how much he was helping out Michael Waltrip, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Steve Park, and his teammate, Mike Skinner, he was basically like, well, good luck, Mike, you're on your own. I totally get where Denny Hamlin is coming from. And obviously, you know, when you look at the contract, I mean, this is Denny's way of saying, like, pay me, pay me. I'm out of your 200-some victories, I'm responsible for 50 of them. But at the end of the day, I got to look out for myself and my team. So there's a lot of streaks that are on the line tonight. And in particular, you look at Hendrick Motorsports. As we talked about Chase Elliott, this is his eighth full-time season, going all the way back to 2016. And then you look at his teammate, Alex Bowman, who's been a part of Hendrick Motorsports full-time since 2018. Since both Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman became full-time drivers for Hendrick Motorsports, they've never missed the playoffs. And tonight, one of them will, or both of them possibly will. Chase has made the playoffs every year since 2016. Alex has made the playoffs every year since 2018. But you look back on it. Chase Elliott missed seven races when he broke his leg March 3rd, snowboarding just a few days before Las Vegas. And then May 29th at Charlotte, his temper tantrum with Denny Hamlin when he right reared him head on in a wall on the front stretch. And then you look at Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman being injured April 25th on his 30th birthday when he fractured his back in a sprint car accident when he flipped a bunch of times in Iowa. I mean, thankfully for Alex, he wasn't, he didn't break his back. I mean, he, well, thankfully more than anything, he wasn't paralyzed because we know how dangerous these sprint cars are. But nevertheless, Alex had to miss three races, four if you count the all-star race in North Wilkesboro. So either way, either way, one of them is going to have their streak come to an end tonight, and possibly both of them. And that leads into this next topic. Is it really teamwork or is it team orders? Because another one that has to win to get in is the 99 of Daniel Suarez after he just had a career year last year. And Ross Chastain, his teammate who won at Nashville on June 25th and is already locked in, Ross said, my goal is to push Daniel Suarez all night long and push him right into the playoffs. And William Byron, earlier in the week, he said, you know, my goal is to help out Chase Elliott or Alex Bowman or both 
and see if we could get one of them in. I mean, ultimately, one of them is going to miss out. So it really makes you wonder, is the teamwork or is the team orders? Because I sort of get a sense that Justin Marks, Rick Hendrick, and Jeff Gordon, I'm sure Rick Hendrick and Jeff Gordon, I'm sure they sat William Byron and Kyle Larson down and said, like, look, our main goal is to either get Chase or Alex into the playoffs, and that is your main responsibility Saturday night at Daytona. I want you guys pushing the 9. I want you pushing the 48. You know, William Byron said earlier today at Daytona, he said, honestly, he probably works better in the draft with Chase Elliott than he does with Alex Bowman. I mean, Chase pushed him to the first cup win of his career at Daytona in August of 2020. And it seems like, and I mean, Kyle Larson gets along great with all three of his teammates. But to me, I feel like he has a closer relationship with Alex Bowman than he does with Chase. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you look at all the bad blood that Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott had last year. But obviously, with Kyle Larson and Alex Bowman, with the two of them being sprint car drivers and having that hobby and everything, even though Alex has taken a hiatus from sprint cars because of the back injury, I think it's pretty obvious that you're going to see William Byron pushing Chase Elliott, and you're going to see Kyle Larson pushing Alex Bowman tonight. But that's just my opinion. And when I look at Chase Elliott, I mean, this definitely has been a struggle. It's been a brutal year. Two second-place finishes on the year. California, just a few days before he broke his leg, and then second at the Indianapolis Road Course to Michael McDowell. And I can only hope and pray that that's the last time that we run the Indianapolis Road Course. I mean, if you had a test session on the Oval Monday and Tuesday with Chase Briscoe, Ty Gibbs, Alex Bowman, there's no purpose in running on the date or yeah the Indianapolis road course in 2024 bring the Brickyard 400 back but last week when Chase Elliott ran out of gas at Watkins Glen and immediately his fans were like that's it I've had enough Alan Gustafson is a bum he should be fired he should no longer be Chase Elliott's crew chief let me tell you something Chase Elliott fans And I say this a lot with Alex Bowman fans. Did you ever think that, ever look in the mirror and think that Chase is responsible for this too? Did you ever think that, you know, if he wasn't screwing around March 3rd, snowboarding and breaking his leg, that maybe he would already be locked in? Did you think that maybe if he didn't have a temper tantrum May 29th at Charlotte, when he right-reared Denny Hamlin head-on into the wall at 180 miles an hour, and Denny had to deal with a sore neck for the rest of the week, did you ever think that maybe Chase Elliott is the reason that you guys are in this hole and more than likely going to miss the playoffs, barring, obviously, if you win? Like, it's it's like Kyle Busch said a number of years ago when Tony Uri Jr. was fired and Lance McGrew became... Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s crew chief. It's like he said, it's never the driver's fault. It's always the crew chief. And that's that's what it is with, with these Chase Elliott fans. Oh, Alan Gustafson sucks. He should be fired. He should be replaced. The same crew chief that guided Chase Elliott to his 2020 championship, the same crew chief that has guided Chase Elliott to all 18 of his cup wins and 38 cup wins total, 18 with Chase Elliott, 
11 with Jeff Gordon, so that's 29. The final five wins of Mark Martin's career, that's 34. And the first four wins of Kyle Busch's career. So you're meaning to tell me a guy that has 38 wins as a crew chief in the 2020 championship that he should be fired because, oh, it's his fault. He let Chase Elliott down. Like Denny Hamlin said, everybody's at fault. Alan Gustafson, yeah, he definitely deserves some of the blame, but so does Chase Elliott. I mean, you know, Chase, if he knew that he was sputtering, he should have gotten onto pit road right then and there. It's on Tom Gray and the engineers. You know, it's it's on the fueler. It's it's a team. Rick Hendrick even says it himself. Life is a team sport, and you hear it all the time. And it's cliche, but it's true. You win as a team, you lose as a team. Everybody's at fault for the snafu at Watkins Glen on Sunday. Everyone. The driver, the crew chief, the engineers, everybody. Everybody deserves an ounce of the blame. But to say that Alan Gustafson should be fired because of one bad call? Look, every crew chief, at some point or another, they all have calls that they regret. You know, for Alan, it... Could be this past Sunday at Watkins Glen for Steve Letarte, you know, taking two tires at Las Vegas in 2010 while everyone else took four. Same with James Small at New Hampshire in 2022. When you look at, well, even with Steve and Dale Jr., 2011 Coca-Cola 600, you know, I know to this day Steve feels like, well, if I would have had him, if I would have had him save fuel for maybe another lap or two or three, that they would have won the Coca-Cola 600 that night. You can't fire him because of one bad call. Have they had a bad season? Yes. Have they struggled to their standards? Yes. But this season is an anomaly. Chase Elliott missed seven races because of the snowboarding accident, because of his temper tantrum. Even if they miss the playoffs, you don't break up that nucleus that has been together for eight seasons. Now, granted, if they go into 2024 and they struggle again and they go winless, or even if they make make the playoffs and go winless, Okay, then yeah, after 2024, then you shake it up. Then you give Chase Elliott a new crew chief. But to give up on him and want him fired because of one bad call is mind-boggling in itself. And I'll say it as a Brad Keselowski fan. Everybody on this podcast knows how critical I've been of Matt McCall. I mean, Matt has three wins to his name, all three of a Kurt Busch. Let me tell you something, Chase Elliott fans. If you want Alan Gustafson fired, okay. You want Matt McCall? Because I would take Alan Gustafson in a heartbeat. I would take him in a heartbeat. The championship, the 38 wins, his passion, his raw emotion, the strategy calls that he has, instead of with Matt, it's four tires, four tires, four tires, four tires. It's so predictable. Like Mike Tomlin and Matt Canada the past few years. It's so predictable. If you feel... That Alan Gustafson is not your guy anymore, bring him right over to RFK. I'll give you guys Matt McCall and see how much you enjoy that. How does that sound? That's the problem I have with Chase Elliott fans. It's always somebody else's fault. Alan Gustafson, the pit crew, Kyle Larson, this one, that one. At the end of the day, Chase should be held to some accountability as well. 
And the other big story going into tonight is the regular season championship. Joe Gibbs racing teammates, Martin Trex Jr. and Denny Hamlin, it comes down to them. Martin Trex Jr. has a 39-point lead over Denny Hamlin going into tonight. But realistically, it should only be 14 because we know how Denny Hamlin was penalized 25 points when he deliberately wrecked Ross Chastain at Phoenix back in March and then admitted it on his podcast. The way I looked at it was, should NASCAR have fined him for admitting it? Okay. I don't have any problem with, with finding him monetarily, but I sure as hell had a problem with taking 25 driver points away from him. I mean, if you're going to take the driver points away, you might as well take the owner points away too. And it's like Denny Hamlin said, like, think about this for a second. How Denny, let's face it, he could make it to Phoenix. He could make it to the championship four and be racing against his teammate, Martin Trex Jr. And think of it, Truex could win that race in the championship. And Denny could finish second, but the 11 would win the owner's championship. Like Denny said, like that would, that would basically be the story of his career. Second place, second place, second place. But the biggest thing to keep in mind, whoever wins this championship, the regular season championship tonight, it's an odd year. We're 2023. Ever since the regular season championship was created in 2017, every odd year, the regular season champion went on to win the NASCAR Cup Series championship. Martin Truex Jr. did it himself in 2017. Then in 2018, his teammate Kyle Busch won the regular season championship, but ultimately would finish fourth in the championship at Miami to Joey Logano, Martin Truex Jr., and Kevin Harvick. The next year, Kyle comes back. He wins the regular season championship and the 2019 NASCAR Cup Series championship. Kevin Harvick, that amazing season he had in 2020. But runs into trouble in the playoffs, misses the Final Four, and finishes fifth in points. Kyle Larson, 2021 regular season champion. Ten wins and wins the championship. And then Chase Elliott last year wins the regular season championship, but let's face it, wrecked himself at Phoenix and had to settle for fourth in points. So if Martin Trex Jr. or Denny Hamlin, whoever wins the regular season championship tonight, that will be my pick for the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series Championship. So the time has finally come. The regular season finale tonight at Daytona International Speedway for the fourth consecutive season. The Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona International Speedway. 7 o'clock is when NBC and Peacock will be going on the air. Green flag will be shortly, just a little after 7.30. 160 laps around the Daytona International Speedway. Stage 1 ends lap 35, stage 2 lap 95. In the booth will be the winning car owner from last night's NASCAR Xfinity Series race, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and his success at Daytona speaks for itself. 17 total wins at Daytona International Speedway. The only two that had more than him were Tony Stewart with 18 and his father. The late, great Dale Earnhardt Sr., 34 total wins at Daytona International Speedway. But for Dale Earnhardt Jr. himself, four total NASCAR Cup Series points wins at Daytona. Who could ever forget July of 2001, his first trip back to Daytona 
after his father's fatal crash there on the final lap of the 2001 Daytona 500 in February. Dale Earnhardt Jr. going out there that night looking like his father, leading 116 laps and going on to win the Pepsi 400. Definitely not only the most emotional win of his career, but undoubtedly the biggest win as well. His three other points wins at Daytona, the 2004 and 2014 Daytona 500s. Another thing, something that he was able to do that his father wasn't able to do, win two Daytona 500s. Also joining him in the booth will be the guy that guided him to that 2014 Daytona 500, his old crew chief, Steve Latart. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. would score one more points win at Daytona July of 2015 with Greg Ives. And my favorite Dale Earnhardt Jr. paint scheme of all time, that black, red, white, and blue Nationwide Chevrolet. Also in the booth is Jeff Burton, the July 2000 winner at Daytona, and Rick Allen with play-by-play duties. So, folks, let's take a look at the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series playoff grid. As of right now, the number one seed is the 24 of William Byron, career year indeed. Five wins at this year, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Mother's Day at Darlington, Atlanta Motor Speedway, and this past Sunday at Watkins Glen. William, 28 playoff points on the year. And as we talked about, the very first NASCAR Cup Series win of his crew, Daytona, in August of 2020. Second is the 19 of Martin Trex Jr., three wins on the year, Dover, Sonoma, and New Hampshire, 20 playoff wins, and his best finish at Daytona, second in the 2016 Daytona 500, by inches to his teammate, Denny Hamlin. The third seed is their ex-teammate, the number eight of Kyle Busch. Three wins in his first year with RCR, California, Talladega, and Gateway. 17 playoff points in his lone cup win at Daytona, July of 2008. Fourth is the 11, Denny Hamlin. Two wins on the year, Kansas and Pocono Raceway. 15 playoff points and three Daytona 500 championships for Denny. 2016, 2019, and 2020. Fifth is the number five of Kyle Larson. Two wins on the year, Richmond and Martinsville. 13 playoff points, but his best finish in a cup car at Daytona is sixth in July of 2016. The number six seed is the 17 of Chris Busher. Two wins on the year, Rich, yeah, <laughs> Richmond and Michigan. Back-to-back wins for that matter. 11 playoff points and his best finish at Daytona. Third in the 2020 Daytona 500 behind Denny Hamlin and Ryan Blaney. Seventh is the number one of Ross Chastain. His lone win on the year, Nashville Super Speedway, pretty much the home track for track house racing. Ten playoff points and his best Daytona finish was seventh in the 2021 Daytona 500. Eighth is the 45 of Tyler Reddick, the winner earlier this year at Coda. Nine playoff points and he finished second in this race last year behind his now ex-teammate, Austin Dillon. Ninth is the 12 of Ryan Blaney, the biggest win of his career, the Coca-Cola 600 on Memorial Day, eight playoff points, and Ryan did win the summer race at Daytona two years ago. Tenth is his teammate, the 22 of Joey Logano, the lone win on the year at Atlanta Motor Speedway all the way back in March, eight playoff points, and our 2015 Daytona 500 champion. 11th is the car that he used to drive, the 20 of Christopher Bell, the winner of 
hopefully the final Bristol Dirt Race. Seven playoff points, and Chris did finish third in the 2023 Daytona 500. Twelfth is the 34, Michael McDowell, the winner of hopefully the final race on the Indianapolis Road Course. Seven playoff points, and for Michael McDowell to only have two wins to your name, for them to be the 2021 Daytona 500, and this year at Indianapolis, it doesn't get any better than that. The two most sacred and hollow racetracks that there are in America. 13th is our Daytona 500 champion of 2023, the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That Daytona win, those are the five playoff points that he accumulated, and Ricky also won at Daytona in July of 2017. 14th is the number six of Brad Keselowski, who finished second at Atlanta to his teammate Joey Logano, getting passed on the last lap. Three playoff points on the year, and Brad's Lone Cup win at Daytona, July of 2016. 15th on the playoff grid, the number four of Kevin Harvick, his record 17th and final playoff appearance. And Kevin did finish second to William Byron, Mother's Day at Darlington. One playoff point was the stage win at Martinsville back in April. Kevin, tonight will be his final race at Daytona International Speedway. He's our 2007 Daytona 500 champion and also won there in July of 2010, but that success came when he was driving the 29 for Richard Childress. But the best news of all, he's reunited tonight with his crew chief, Rodney Childers. Rodney had to leave Watkins Glen last weekend because of some medical issues with his mother. Thankfully, his mother is recuperating and breathing on her own, and Rodney is back at Daytona, where his mom would want him to be. And currently, the 16th and final playoff spot is occupied by the 23 of Bubba Wallace. Bubba has a trio of fourth-place finishes on the year, Las Vegas, his best track, Kansas Speedway, and the Coca-Cola 600. No playoff points for Bubba, and he has a trio of second-place finishes at Daytona, the 2018 and 2022 Daytona 500s, and August of 2021 to his best friend, Ryan Blaney. And the driver's on the outside looking in, but they have a chance to knock Bubba Wallace out tonight. 17th is the 54 of Ty Gibbs, the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year. Ty has scored the first two top five finishes of his career. Fifth place finishes at Pocono Raceway and Watkins Glen. No playoff points, and he did finish 13th in this race last year, filling in for Kurt Busch. 18th is the 99 of Daniel Suarez. He finished third at the Indianapolis Road Course this year. No playoff points. And he finally got some luck at Daytona back in February when he finished seventh in the 500. 19th is the 16th of A.J. Allmendinger. He finished third at Atlanta back in July. No playoff points. And his best Daytona finish was third in the 2009 Daytona 500. 20th is the 48th of Alex Bowman a pair of third-place finishes early, early in the year at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in Coda. Alex has negative five playoff points when he was penalized 60 points for the greenhouse infraction at Richmond. Alex finally got a top five at Daytona back in February, finishing fifth when a bunch of cars crashed on the last lap. His typical luck. 21st is his teammate, the number nine of Chase Elliott, as we talked about. The pair of second-place finishes on the year. More than likely the last race at California Speedway and more than likely the last race on the Indianapolis Road Course. The lone 
stage win that Chase had this year was stage one at Talladega back in April. And Chase has a pair of second place finishes at Daytona, August of 2020, the night that his teammate William Byron scored his first win. And the 2021 Daytona 500 just inches behind Michael McDowell when NASCAR threw the caution flag on the last lap. 22nd is the two of Austin Sendrick, a trio of sixth place finishes on the year. Las Vegas, Circuit of the Americas, and the Chicago Street Course. One playoff point on the year, the Stage 2 win at Atlanta back in March. And of course, Austin, our 2022 Daytona 500 champion. 23rd is the 31 of Justin Haley, who finished second at the Chicago Street Course to Shane Van Gisbergen. No playoff points on the year, and Justin did score his first NASCAR Cup Series win at Daytona, July of 2019, when the Lightning hit. 24th is the 41 of Ryan Priest, finished fifth at Richmond last month. One playoff point on the year when he won stage one at Martinsville back in April. And his best Daytona finish was fourth in this race two years ago. 25th is the 10 of Eric Almarola, sounding like he will retire after coming back for this year. Eric finished sixth at Martinsville back in April. One playoff point on the year, and he did score the first win of his career at Daytona in July of 2014. 26th is the 38 of Todd Gilliland, a best finish of eighth at the Bristol Dirt Race. No playoff points on the year, and Todd's best finish at Daytona was 23rd in this race last year. 27th is the 7 of Corey LaJoy, a career best fourth place finish at Atlanta back in March. No playoff points. And his best finish at Daytona was 6th in July of 2019. 28th is the 43 of Eric Jones. He finished 6th at Talladega back in April. Negative 5 playoff points when, <clears throat> when they were penalized at Gateway. And Eric scored the first win of his career at Daytona in July of 2019. 29th is the 3 of Austin Dillon, who finished 3rd at the Bristol Dirt Race. Negative five playoff points, the sway bar infraction at Martinsville. And Austin is not only the defending winner of tonight's race, but he is also the 2018 Daytona 500 champion. 30th is the 21 of Harrison Burton. Finished sixth at Darlington back on Mother's Day. No playoff points. And a best Daytona finish of 19th in this race last year. 31st on the playoff grid is our pole sitter for tonight, the 14 of Chase Briscoe. Chase finished fourth at Talladega back in April, but was penalized 25 points with the huge infraction at the Coca-Cola 600, negative 25 playoff points, I should say. And the first top five of Chase Briscoe's career came in last year's Daytona 500 when he finished third. And the 32nd and final driver that is eligible if he wins tonight, the 77 of Ty Dillon. Ty's best finish on the year was 14th at Talladega, no playoff points, and the first top five finish of Ty Dillon's career came at Daytona when he finished fourth in July of 2019. There you have it, the 16 playoff drivers and the 16 that still have a chance to make it if they win tonight. So also taking a look at tonight's starting lineup for the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona International Speedway, as I talked about on the poll for the second time in his career as the number 14 of Chase Briscoe. And joining him on the front row is his teammate, the 10 of Eric Almarola, in what could be his final Daytona race. 
Third is the 21 of Harrison Burton. Starting fourth is the 23 of Bubba Wallace. And wouldn't you know it, starting fifth is the 54 of Ty Gibbs. The first driver on the outside looking in. Starting sixth is the 36 of Riley Herbst driving a third front row motorsports car. This will be Riley's third cup race. He did finish 10th in the 2023 Daytona 500 back in February. And spotting for Riley tonight is none other than Brian Keselowski. Starting 7th is the number 5 of Kyle Larson. Starting 8th is the number 12 of Ryan Blaney. Then we move on to row 5, a pair of Stuart Haas racing teammates, the 41 of Ryan Priest. He is starting 9th. And starting 10th in his final race at Daytona International Speedway, the number 4 of Kevin Harvick. Row 6 has a pair of Roush Fenway Keselowski racing teammates. Starting 11th is the 17 of Chris Busher. Starting 12th is his teammate and his boss, the number 6 of Brad Keselowski. Starting 13th is the number 19 of Martin Trex Jr. Starting 14th is the 22 of Joey Logano. Starting 15th is the 20 of Christopher Bell. And 16th is the number 2 of Austin Sendrick. Starting 17th is the 16 of A.J. Allmendinger. And starting 18th is the number 8 of Kyle Busch. Starting 19th is the 11 of Denny Hamlin. And starting alongside of him in 20th is his employee, the number 45 of Tyler Reddick. Starting 21st is the number 3 of Austin Dillon. And starting alongside him, another guy in a must-win situation, the, num the number 99 of Daniel Suarez. Then we move on to the 12th row. A couple other guys in must-win situations, the number 9 of Chase Elliott starting 23rd, and 24th is the 43 of Eric Jones. Starting 25th is the number 1 of Ross Chastain, and 26th is the 62 of Austin Hill. We know about his prowess at Daytona in the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. I mean, if Austin is around at the end of tonight, you know that he could definitely be a factor and a spoiler. Starting 27th is the 24 of William Byron. And starting 28th, the guy that he finished second to in that July 2019 race at Daytona International Speedway, the 31 of Justin Haley. Starting 29th is the 42 of Josh Berry. It's unknown what the situation will be with the 42 team moving forward if Josh is going to do more races if Carson Hosevar might step into the 42 if Jimmy Johnson himself might drive the 42 for a few races to finish out 2023 and starting alongside him in 30th is the 77 of Ty Dillon starting 31st is the 48 of Alex Bowman definitely a surprise when you consider how many poles and front row starts that he's had at Daytona and starting alongside him in 32nd is our Daytona 500 champion, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. But hey, when Ricky won the Daytona 500 back in February, he rolled off 33rd that day. Starting in 33rd is the 51 of J.J. Yaley. Starting 34th is his teammate, the 15 of Brendan Poole. Starting 35th, the 38 of Todd Gilliland. And 36th will be the 13 of Chandler Smith in a third colleague car. Great to see him finally get a cup start at Daytona after missing the Daytona 500 back in February. Starting 37th is the number 7 of Corey LaJoy. And starting 38th, the 78 of BJ McLeod. And rounding out the field in 39th, the 34 of Michael McDowell. Unfortunately, it's unknown what kind of issues Michael had during his qualifying lap yesterday at Daytona International Speedway. 
So when I look at this starting lineup, and obviously you look at the top 10, and when you do the math here, we've got, let's see here, three, four, five, six, seven. So out of the top 10 starters, top 12 starters, when you think of it, out of the top 12 starters, we have nine Fords. The lone exceptions are Bubba Wallace and Ty Gibbs in Toyotas and Kyle Larson in a Chevrolet. And when it comes to Daytona, it's all about teamwork, but it's also about manufacturers. And as we've seen over the past several years at Daytona International Speedway, what has made Ford so strong is seeing all of them work together. And whether it's Roush Fenway, Keselowski, Penske, Stuart Haas, Front Row Motorsports, you name it, those Fords, they stick together throughout the day and the night at Daytona and at Talladega. And I guess you could say the same with Chevrolet. I mean, obviously, obviously with Chevrolet, when you look at Hendrick Motorsports, Richard Childress Racing, and Trackhouse, even, even with Legacy Motor Club, even though they're pretty much a lame duck, like them and Colleague, you know that, <clears throat> you know that this is all about manufacturers working together tonight at Daytona International Speedway. But it's like I keep talking about, what I, what I wonder is, you look at Chase Briscoe and Eric Amarola, must-win situations. So you wonder, is Kevin Harvick, even though it's his last Daytona race, is he basically going to have to help them out, like I talked about with the Hendrick guys? And like even, even RCR, for example, like when I look at RCR, it could be just like last year all around, where the eight has to push the three basically all day because it's a must-win situation. And joining me on the podcast is none other than my fiance, Kelly McCann. How are we doing tonight, Kelly? I'm doing awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you on. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. What, what stands out to you tonight at Daytona as your driver, Bubba Wallace, is trying to make the playoffs for the first time in his career? just that it's just like will he make it will he be knocked out it's just that's yeah that's the scary thing about it is like i've been talking about here like dale earnhardt jr talked about on on the dale jr download earlier this week bubba could go out there tonight run an awesome race be up front lead laps and be leading the pack and be in the front of that pack but if you get a ty gibbs a Chase Briscoe, Chase Elliott, for for example, if he loses out to one of those guys, he's out. No matter how much of an improvement he, Booty Barker, and the 23 team have made this year. Oh, yeah. That's the unfortunate thing about it. And like we were talking about earlier this week, and like Denny talked about on his podcast, I said it last week at Watkins Glen that I felt like that was the biggest race of Bubba Wallace's career. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you're going to a place that you know it's not one of your strong suits, but you know that you have to have a positive mindset and a positive mentality instead of going like, oh, I hate this place. I suck at it. Like Bubba knew his whole season was on the line last Sunday at Watkins Glen. And And, he kept an open mind. and And look at it. He was fast all weekend. He didn't luck into that 12th place finish. I mean, he just... He he earned his spot. He sure did. And 
spending all that time picking Tyler Reddick's brain, knowing how good Tyler is at road courses, Denny himself knowing the success that he has had at road courses. So I wanted to get your take on what I talked about with Denny not having a contract for 2024, talking about the possibility of maybe going over to Ford and how he talked about, look, Joe Gibbs, you're my boss. I appreciate everything you've done for me. But at the end of the day, I need two cars in the playoffs, not one. And even though your grandson is my teammate, I got to look out for my team. Well, exactly. I hmm. mean, he he's he's part of the team for Bubba, so exactly. he has to be behind his driver. And from a monetary perspective, the amount of money that 23XI is going to make if Bubba Wallace gets in compared to if it's just Tyler Reddick that gets in, it is a huge financial blow if you have one car in the playoffs compared to two. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, two's always better than one. So. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. Exactly. <laughs> so, your second year of going to Pocono Raceway, what stood out to you that entire weekend? Hmm. And especially, as Denny Hamlin said, all the 11s that he got from the fans. Oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe that happened again. <laughs> so many angry people that he won. Is it because... Is it because he raced a Hendrick driver hard? That's the gist that I get. Oh, well, of course. That's the, it's, it's the golden team, and God forbid, with this car and how hard it is to pass, there's seven laps to go. You can't just let Kyle Larson check out on the field like that. Exactly. And wouldn't you know it, and wouldn't you know it, the self-destruction of Junior Motorsports the day before in that race. Oh, yeah. With Josh Berry and Sam Mayer. And then when you know it, here's Sam Mayer finally winning races now after after all those shenanigans oh, at Pocono. A little fire under him. It sure did. But what stood out to you year two at Pocono compared to year one? Well, I knew more stuff. <laughs> I knew what to expect. The weather was nicer. The weather was nicer. <laughs> um, just a whole different experience once you kind of <clears throat> understand what's going on. My first year was like, Mm. All new, new sites. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I like that I knew what was going to happen. And as I opened my show with earlier, the end of the line for Kurt Busch. Did you ever imagine that your first time ever to a racetrack, your first day at a racetrack, that unfortunately that would be the final lap of Kurt Busch's career? It's sad. It was unexpected. <sighs> Didn't think that it was going to be the last, so. Yeah. But I think what Kurt said to the media just a little while ago at Daytona, he achieved the success that he wanted. He won a championship. He won a Daytona 500. He won the Coca-Cola 600. His main focus now is making Bubba Wallace and Tyler Reddick even better race car drivers than they are right now. And that is someone, and that's another one that I think of it, someone that definitely helped Bubba out and could someone that he could have leaned on going into a situation like Watkins Glen and obviously the, the trepidation that he had going into there. Oh yeah. Now the one thing that I've now the one thing that you and I have noticed this year last year was incredibly brutal. Brad Keselowski's first year as an owner driver, the 100 point penalty at Atlanta Motor Speedway not getting a top five finish until October 23rd at Miami. It has been absolutely incredible just to see this turnaround from 
Brad Keselowski, not just as a driver, but as a car owner as well. And oh, it's a total difference between this year <laughs> and last year. I mean, yeah, I still may bitch up a storm here and there, but it's not as much as last year. <laughs> it's, it's getting a little lighter. A now, little less F-bombs. Now, you're better at telling this story than I am, but tell the listeners about Atlanta Motor Speedway back in March as Brad Keselowski's trying to end a 60-some race winless streak and all of us are watching the laps wind down. <laughs> oh, is that the race? That was the race. <laughs> oh, and he's looking good. He's looking good. And I'm like, what if he gets in an accident? Or what if he wrecks? And I gave you... The dirtiest look. The Earnhardt stare. <laughs> and then... Lo and behold, what Joey happened? Joey Logano, of all people, passes Brad Keselowski on the last lap for the win. Oh, no. <laughs> How far did that hat go flying? Pretty far. <laughs> I put some bad jujus on, Brad. And meanwhile, here is you and your sister, Marsha, just giggling like little schoolgirls. <laughs> well, between that and you having a fit, yes. And... Saying, yelling a certain word out loud that rhymes with truck. <laughs> oh, your favorite curse word. Yes. My favorite curse word for sure. <laughs> you were cute. Uh, so, what stands out to you when, when you look at the outline going into tonight at Daytona? What do you feel is the biggest story, whether it's Bubba Wallace, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, all of these guys? Like, what stand, What are you going to be looking for the most tonight at Daytona? Uh, I'm going to keep my eye on Bubba for sure. Yeah. Hope, hopefully he, none of those people that win, win yeah. and he gets a spot in the playoffs. Here's, and here's the thing, and this is the mindset that he has to carry going into tonight and that Booty Barker has to carry in going into tonight. Run your own race. Don't worry about Ty Gibbs. Don't worry about all these Stuart Haas cars and Hendrick cars. you got to concentrate you on gotta yourself. you got to focus on yourself. And for Bubba, for Bubba, this is not the night to... And I understand Daytona's Daytona, and everyone's going to get all bunched up, and there's going to be chaos, and there's going to be a massive accident sooner or later, before you know it, towards the end of the race. But be up front. Control your race. Control your position. Control the pack. Because... The more time that you spend out front, I mean, it's Daytona, but the more time you spend out front, the less chance that there there could be of getting caught up in someone else's mess or misfortune. Oh, yeah. And like Bubba's, or like Steve Letarte talked about, I mean, we've had 25 weeks to get to this point. And yeah, there's definitely the what if. Like, what if the last lap of Talladega, if Bubba didn't slide up in front of Ryan Blaney at the very last second and get wrecked when he realized... Ryan was coming like a freight train on the outside about 10 miles an hour faster than him. Even if, even if Bubba would have finished second to Ryan that day at Talladega, that 32-point cushion that he has over Ty Gibbs, I'm doing the math here in my head. So 28th, that's nine points. 35. So 32, you know, Nana Coke math. <laughs> Bubba, Bubba would have had, if he even finished second that day at Talladega, he would have a 57-point cushion over Ty Gibbs going into tonight. Wow. So, and that's the unfortunate thing. Like I was talking about with Brad 
when I was worried about there being a new winner at Watkins Glen, you run through all those those what if scenarios earlier in the year, like that last lap at Atlanta Motor Speedway, for instance. Like I'm thinking, like if Brad gets knocked out, you think to that at Atlanta. You think to Darlington, Talladega. All these times you put yourself in position, but you don't end up winning. And I think what I hope for tonight, Denny Hamlin has already made it known he's going to help Bubba Wallace out as much as he can. Tyler Reddick, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the protocol in 23XI for tonight is to help Bubba get in and not have to worry and sweat it out. Now, like, the thing that I'm wondering about is it really, like, when I look at Stuart Haas, when I look at Hendrick Motorsports, when I look at Penske, is it really teamwork or is it team orders? Because I'm sure Jeff Gordon and Rick Hendrick, I'm sure they've been telling William Byron and Kyle Larson all week, one of you is going to have to push Chase, one of you is going to have to push Alex, and let's just hope that one of them could get in instead of both of them missing out. That sounds about right. It's I, To me, that's the one thing I, I worry about tonight is team orders. Oh, and, yeah. and especially an organization like Hendrick Motorsports, for instance. I mean, I, I saw it firsthand back in 2011 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Steve Letarte how Jr.'s out there at Talladega. He's trying his best to break a three-year winless streak, and all of a sudden he has to push Jimmy Johnson around the track the rest of the day. So and it, it's definitely the order. And it took Jimmy it took Jimmy four years until he finally repaid the favor to Dale Jr. and pushed him to a win at Talladega. So as as we move into tonight, and NBC is gonna be going on the air here in just a few minutes. Oh, very soon. Yeah. What has been your favorite memory so far of the twenty twenty three season? Now I'm gonna run through the season so far at day, from Daytona to now. So we started off the year with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. winning the Daytona 500, Kyle Busch at California, William Byron back-to-back wins at Las Vegas and Phoenix. That was great. Yeah. This is the, the breakout season that I have been expecting out of him for at least three years now. I mean, you, you go into the year with four wins to your name, and here we are. Playoffs are getting ready to start, and he has nine wins to his name. Nine wins at eight different racetracks, for that matter. He's doing amazing. Amazing. Finally living up to that hype. The heartbreaker that was Atlanta Motor Speedway with Joey Logano passing Brad Keselowski. Tyler Reddick winning at Circuit of the Americas. Kyle Larson winning in the five car on what would have been Ricky Hendrick's birthday Mm -hmm. at Richmond. Christopher Bell and hopefully the final Bristol Dirt race. Oh, fingers crossed. And then Kyle winning with Ricky Hendrick's paint scheme again at Martinsville, where the plane crash happened in 2004. Kyle Busch at Talladega, the heartbreaker for Bubba on that last lap. Yeah. Martin Trex Jr. on a Monday again at Dover. Mm. <laughs> Kansas Speedway, Denny Hamlin, and Kyle Larson going at it. Gee, that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> it kind of does. William Byron winning on Mother's Day at Darlington for his mom two years after she had to have a brain tumor removed. He did it for his mom. Yeah, definitely. Ryan Blaney winning the Coke 600 on Memorial Day. Kyle Busch at St. Louis, that race that was delayed nearly three hours because of lightning. Oh, that was crazy. (laughs) That that night at Riverside, it's like about 8.30 or so, and Kelly says... Thank God this is finally over. <laughs> that was the longest race ever. Man. Man. 
Then, when we're on vacation in Atlantic City, my favorite racetrack, Sonoma Raceway, and Martin Trex Jr. putting both of us to sleep for that matter. Oh, yeah. Or was it just being out in the sun all day? (laughs) Uh, No, it was him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ross Chastain smashing the watermelon at Nashville. That was pretty good. And then we moved to the race that I bitched about the most for a solid year, the Chicago Street Race. Oh, yes. And... And you thought it was better than you thought. It was. And in his debut, Shane... As Jeff Burton said, (laughs) Van Giga Giga Gig. I like that. Or as Dale Jr. said, Vince Berger. Giggity giggity. (laughs) Or, Or as we could refer to with what we do in the shadows, Gizmo. Gizmo. Yeah. But Shane Van Giesberg, yeah, Shane Van Giesberg, and winning in his debut, the first time in 60 years that someone won in their debut. Then for me, the agony of Brad Keselowski having a pit from the lead at Atlanta Motor Speedway right before the rain came, mm. and William Byron is there to win the race when they called it. Oh, yeah. Martin Trex Jr. winning on another Monday <laughs> at New Hampshire and trying to eat the lobster in victory lane. <laughs> Denny Hamlin, the chaos and the controversy that was Pocono. (laughs) He deserved it, though. Me bitching up a storm at Richmond when Brad nearly spun in his pit box, but he goes to victory lane with Chris (laughs) Buescher. And then goes to victory lane again with Chris Buescher the next week in Michigan. The snoozer that was the Indianapolis road course. You watched, I mean... You were watching that race, and you said that that was probably the quickest race you've ever seen. It It was. It was just right at two hours. And then, for us, Watkins Glen, that was the first race in 52 years, a cup race that wasn't rain-shortened, that finished under two hours. Again, One caution flag the last two weeks. Yes. Well, it's Daytona. We're going to get way more than two caution flags tonight. Oh, (laughs) you are pumped. I am. For me, being an Earnhardt fan, Daytona Daytona is a place of mixed emotions for me personally. When I think of Dale Earnhardt finally winning that Daytona 500 in 1998 and how every single crew congratulated him. You showed me that. It, yeah. I could Emotional. cry right now talking about it. And then, of course, February 18, 2001. And for... For Dale Jr. to go back there in July and control that race and control that field just like his father had done so many times and win his very first race back to Daytona after he lost his father there, after he saw him die in his rearview mirror, basically. He he did his dad proud. He did it for his dad. He took his father's place that night as... The guy to beat at Daytona International Speedway. Yes. And even though Dale Jr. won those two Daytona 500s in 2004 and 2014, undoubtedly the biggest win of his career, both both personally and professionally. Oh, And for his uncle, Danny Earnhardt, Danny said for, for both of them, that was the closure. I mean, it still doesn't make up for losing your father and your oldest brother. But it's... It's like a circle. It brought them closure for that particular racetrack. And for Brad Keselowski, this has been building and building and building from... And the ironic thing is, 
what stands out to me was in June of 2021 when I met you. <laughs> yes. That night when he finished second to Kyle Larson in the all-star race at Texas Motor Speedway. 12 days later, 12 days later, as you and I were about to go out on our second date, just a few hours before that, I get the news that Brad Keselowski and Jack Roush, that it's a done deal. That even though it wasn't official, that this is where Brad was going to go in 2022. And his first race at Daytona, seeing him dominate and dominate only to lose to his old car. Mm. And then dominating the Daytona 500 again in February, only to get caught up in a wreck on the last lap going down in a turn one. Well, will this be his year? I think, I mean, he's clinched his playoff spot. But the biggest thing with tonight is gain on those playoff points. He only has three playoff points. Chris Buescher has 11. Even if Brad, if Brad gets eliminated in the round of 12 by five points, you think of Atlanta, you think of the Daytona 500, you think of all these places that he could have won and gotten those five playoff points and it would have carried him to the next round. And what I want to see with Brad tonight, I want to see him just like Bubba Wallace, I want to see those two up front all night long. If that means Brad is leading the top with a whole bunch of Fords behind him, if it's Bubba leading the bottom with a bunch of Toyotas behind him, or vice versa, I want to see these guys controlling the pack and leading the pack because Dale Earnhardt Jr. said it best. Your best bet is to be out front at Daytona and Talladega. And I think tonight... And it's every man for himself, especially on that last lap. But what I want to see tonight, you want to know who I want to see working with Brad Keselowski all night long? Chris Buescher. Yes. Chris has talked about, and the thing is, I don't want people to think that, like, you know, this driver is owed something. You don't, you're never owed anything. You have to earn everything. But Chris has been talking for two solid years about the impact that Brad has made on him as a teammate and as a boss. He and Brad was adamant to Jack Roush in 2021. If we do this deal, I want Chris to be my teammate because I believe in him. I believe that he's one of the most underrated talents that there is in the sport. Oh, shows that he has an eye. Tonight, yeah, just like Dale Jr. when when he gave him his big break back in 2007. This is a night where I do not want to see that 17 leave the sixes rear bumper at all. Yes. At all. And, I mean, when, when they were at Talladega back in April, you know, Brad pushed Chris Buescher all day long around that track. This, this is a night for this sixth team and for Brad as an owner and driver. The streak has to end tonight. It's 87 races since his last win. April, he needs this. April, he deserves it. April of 2021 at Talladega Super Speedway. That was his last win. Wow. Bubba should win. But if he doesn't win, <laughs> then Brad should win. There's nothing, there nothing wrong with Bubba finishing second to Brad by five one thousandths of a second, just like just or like vice versa. Or vice versa, yeah. <laughs> because I mean, if those two finish one two, they're in, regardless of whatever happens the rest of the night. Yes. And that's the thing, like when you look at Bubba's numbers for Daytona. Tell me what you see there. Best Daytona finish. He was second in 2018 and 2022. Mm-hmm. 
in August of 2021. And 2021, yes. Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, for a lot of guys, it's, for a lot of guys like himself and Brad Keselowski and Denny Hamlin, for some of them, they just pick up on it like that. And that's what I've seen with Bubba Wallace is he is someone that has picked up on the draft and the art of it at Daytona and Talladega. As we talked about, you know, Bubba got the first one of his career at Talladega, October of 2021. For some people, it just comes naturally. And that's why, like Dale Jr. said, you're going to put your, when you put yourself in possession so many times at Daytona, you're eventually going to break into victory lane sooner or later. And this could be Bubba Wallace's night. And the best way to control your fate, just go out there and win. As Al Davis liked to say, just win, baby. <laughs> just do it. Just Yeah. Well, as, as his boss would say, just do just it. Do it. <laughs> so what would you like to see with Bubba going into 2024? Him with Toyota or them making the switch to Ford and possibly having his boss, Denny Hamlin, as a teammate? I'd like to see Denny Hamlin like go that route. Yeah. I, I could see them becoming like a really great team, like a real like a contender, you know, for other people to try to beat. Here's the thing. It was ironically your birthday weekend in twenty twenty when Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan announced that they were starting this team together. And immediately they announced right then and there Bubba Wallace was gonna be their driver with the twenty three. So that has been their driver from day one. And you saw the Netflix series. You saw the struggles they went through that first year. Oh, yeah. And how it, they finally got Bubba, the crew chief he wanted, in Booty Barker. I mean, no disrespect to Mike Wheeler, but some crew chiefs are just a better fit. You know? Oh, yeah. Just like Tony Uri Sr. and Steve Letarte compared to Tony Uri Jr. Well, just because you're yeah. a great, you know, crew chief doesn't mean you're going to you know with the driver. No, so. and you see it with Dale Jr. and Steve all these years later that camaraderie and that brotherhood that they have on the broadcast together. You know, I'm sure Fox offered Dale Jr. a hell of a lot more money than NBC did, but he took that job just so he could work with the guy that that resurrected his career and believed in him the most. Oh, yeah. But anyway, my point is, Denny said, <laughs> you hear it a lot of times in sports, but he had a five-year plan. The, and the five-year plan, 2021, their first season. 2025, that will be their fifth season. And Denny said by 2025, he wants 23XI to be one of the top teams in the garage area. And I can see it going that way. I, I do, because Bubba and Tyler, they definitely have the talent. They've definitely shown it. And they definitely have great teams and a great mentor now in Kurt Busch. Unfortunately, that his driving days are over. Kurt's going to be in that front office, and he's going to have a huge impact on, oh, the, on gonna, both of them. He's going to be such a great both personally and professionally. And he's, he's going to he's going to bring that team. Now here's far. what here's what I wonder. You, you know how excited I am that Josh Berry is moving up to the Cup Series in 2024. Yes, taking over Kevin Harvick's car. I get the impression Tony Stewart has had enough. He's been coming to less and less races. He's been critical on NASCAR. I mean, he's always been critical, but, like, he's really speaking his mind about the sport and about the cars and everything. And now you hear the four teams that Stuart Haas has, the four, the 10, the 14, the 41, you're hearing that Tony might be downsizing the two teams in 2024. The 10 team with Eric Almirola and Smithfield. Smithfield, it sounds like they're gone. Eric's going to retire. 
So that's one team that's probably going to bite the dust. Yeah. And then the 41 team with Ryan Priest, that sounds like they're up in the air. So it could just be Josh Berry and Chase Briscoe next year in 2024. And the weird thing is, guess what organiz- or guess what manufacturer Stuart Haas could be going back to in 2025? Chevrolet. Oh. And what guy in the sport have we been talking about for two years that wants to be a cup owner? Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yes. He and Tony Stewart have been the best of friends for 25 years. But the problem is these charters, which is basically a guaranteed starting spot in the field. There's 36 of them. One charter alone, when Dale Jr. and Kelly, when they were thinking about moving Jr. Motorsports up with Josh Berry, the charters back then cost, one charter alone cost $20 million. That's a pretty penny. The asking price now that Tony is going to ask for with the 10 charter and probably even the 41 charter now, probably anywhere in the neighborhood to 40 to $50 million. And Dale Jr. and Kelly said, like, with the budget that they have in Xfinity, they're not just going to throw away $40, $50 million just for one cup team alone. Yeah, no. So I think that these, these charter prices have to come down because this sport needs Dale Earnhardt Jr. as a cup owner. I mean, he's had an incredible driving career. He's having an incredible broadcasting career. Let's, let's make it all three. Driver, broadcaster, car owner, and NASCAR's highest level. Oh, yes. But the price definitely has to come down, and that's the thing with Tony. I just don't get the impression that he's enjoying it anymore. I think he's sticking around just to see Kevin get his send-off at Phoenix. That's, that's the impression that I get. And I wanted to know what you thought of the Kevin Harvick tributes at Pocono. Oh, I loved it. It's, yeah. it's you know, his last... Last time at Pocono, mm-hmm. his um, whole family was his there. His whole family was there. It it was bittersweet, but you know what? He's he's going out on his own terms, and and you can't you can't do any better than that. And he's still at the top of his game, and he's still at the top of the twenty three so. years in the sport. And it's pretty surreal because in more ways than one, Daytona was where his whole career changed, and I guess you could say in so many different ways. Yeah, because. To paint the picture, February of 2001, like we talked about, Kevin, they announced that he was going to do seven cup races and then move up full-time in 2002 as a teammate to your childhood hero, Dale Earnhardt. And within a span of nine days, that quickly changed. And for for Kevin to leave Daytona that Saturday and just think, like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to watch this 500. Hopefully Dale wins and great start to the Bush season. The favorite for the championship finishing second. And in less than 24 hours, you're being told to come to Richard Childress's office and you know what is expected of you. And I think for those reasons alone, taking over an iconic car and an iconic team under such a tragic circumstance like that, top 10 talent of all time. Oh, yeah, for 60 sure. wins to his name in the 2014 championship. And Delana, his wife, she tweeted earlier today, she said, it's a bittersweet year going to these tracks for the final time. But with how volatile Daytona is, she said she's not heartbroken one bit that this is his last Daytona race. I don't blame her one bit. No. <laughs> 
I think Kevin Kevin said that he's going to enjoy going to Daytona more as a commentator <laughs> than as a driver. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. No. So, what I what are your expectations for Kevin? He finished 12th in his last Daytona 500 back in February. I just wonder if he's going to be up front, if he's going to have a chance, or if, unfortunately, he's going to get swept up in some sort of chaos. I hope he gets in the top five. Yeah. That'd be- That's another one I wouldn't mind seeing win. Oh, yeah. Since this was the place where your career changed. changed. Yeah. And then he's leaving get in. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, like I talked about as you joined me, it, it's going to be manufacturers galore. And I think, like we talked about, Denny and Tyler, they're going to be helping Bubba out. And even with Brad not being a part of Penske anymore... Logano, Blaney, Sendrick, I still feel like they're going to work together a lot because they're all Fords. And like we talked about, basically the orders that Byron and Kyle Larson have for tonight. So looking at this field, looking at this field, who is your pick to go to victory lane at Daytona tonight? And does your driver Bubba Wallace get that final playoff spot? Uh, I would like to be confident and say, yes, Bubba gets it. It's Daytona. <laughs> but, you know, it, exactly. It's Daytona, you never know. But, um, like I said, which was my guy that won <laughs> or wins. Mm. If not, I hope your guy wins. Yeah. Um, but if not, um, Chastain. Chastain. Well, Byron. He, yeah. But like I, I, or maybe even Busher. But like I talked about, Byron is basically handcuffed for tonight. Oh. <laughs> yeah, having to help out. And Byron even admitted, like he was asked earlier today, you've got two teammates that have to get in, and only one of them could possibly make it. Sorry, Byron. Who do you, who are you going to help out more? Is it going to be Chase Elliott or Alex Bowman? And he said... Well, I guess Frank has given his opinion on it. He is. <laughs> what do you think, Frank? okay. (laughs) He's saying hell no to William Byron's chances. (laughs) But getting back to it, William Byron said that he works better with Chase Elliott than he does with Alex Bowman. As a matter of fact, Chase Elliott was the one that pushed William to his first win at Daytona three years ago in this race. So... I feel like, personally, he's going to be helping out Chase Elliott, and I feel like Kyle Larson's going to be the one helping out Alex Bowman tonight. Because Kyle Larson and Alex Bowman, they definitely have a closer relationship than he and Chase Elliott do. You, yes. you saw the bad blood those two had last year. Oh, yeah. Trying to be the top dog at Hendrick Motorsports. And, I mean, those are some solid guys that you talk about, like like a Chastain, like a Chris Buescher. Um, I look at... The thing with Truex, as great as he is, Daytona, he's one of them that seems to get caught up in a lot of wrecks at Daytona. Oh, yeah. And he's going for the regular season championship tonight. Like, when I look at Chevrolet, it's hard to say because Kyle Busch is handcuffed, too. Kyle Busch is going to, you know, Richard Childress is going to have a pissing match if, if he doesn't help out his grandson all night. Just like Tyler Reddick was last year in this race. So, I mean, with Chevrolet, honestly, like, I, I, at all the manufacturers, I kind of feel like they're at a, at a disadvantage just based on how many of their teams have to get in and yeah. can only get in with a win. Like, when I look at, when I look at Ford, 
not being a homer, but I definitely feel like the best chance that Ford has to go to victory lane is Roush Fenway Keselowski. And then with Toyota, it's, you know, Denny Hamlin is going to be a factor tonight, but I think that, I think that he does not leave Bubba Wallace's bumper one bit once he gets his way up through the field. So, hey, this could be, this could be another battle of Roush Fenway Keselowski versus 23XI, just like we saw at Richmond and Michigan. Well, we'll see. <laughs> it's, what time is it? 7.13. So, <laughs> we're getting close. We're getting close. Folks, I'm going to say it right here. And I got a channel. I got a channel. The guy that recruited me to become a Brad Keselowski fan back in 2017. Joshua John Manley. <laughs> now, Kelly, do you remember the podcast that we, myself, Josh, Timmy, yeah, Josh, Timmy, John and Glow, James West that we all did back in January when we were doing the playoff preview? Was that in the hot tub? That was not in the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> but how Josh, when he went on that rant and he said, guys, oh yes. it's been 30 years since the Dallas Cowboys last won a road playoff game. It was the 1992 NFC Championship at Candlestick Park against your San Francisco 49ers. Go Niners. He said, oh, just wait until I tell you afterwards. He said, when I was talking to him earlier, he said the Niners are his second most hated team behind the Eagles just because they've beaten the Cowboys the last two years. <laughs> oh. Cowboys suck. I don't know what to say. <laughs> but anyway, how Josh said... How Josh said, it's been 30 years. And I think it was either Timmy or Johnny, they were getting ready to step in and say some sort of sarcastic thing. And how Josh said, 30 fucking years <laughs> since the Dallas Cowboys last won a road playoff game. It might be another 30. And that, well, that Monday, they did oh. beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa, which was the final game of Tom Brady's career. They ended Tom Brady's career, the Dallas Cowboys. R.I.P. Tom Brady. Then they lost to your or they lost to your San Francisco 49ers the next Sunday, nineteen to twelve. Go Kittle. <laughs> that catch he had was unbelievable. It's been eighty-seven races. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it, but eighty-seven freaking races since Brad Keselowski drove that car into victory lane. In will a points it, race. Will it be his night? Tonight's the night. I've had a confident feeling all week from the moment they left Watkins Glen and clinched that playoff spot. I told I told Josh, I'm like, dude, Brad's winning Daytona. This is it. This is it. This streak has gone on way too long. It's time. Well, it is freaking time. Either tomorrow will be <laughs> a happy day here or we'll be dressed in black. Well, well, if I'm dressed in black, it would be an honor of the Steelers' preseason win on Thursday night against the Falcons. Whatever you have to tell yourself. Whatever I have to tell myself. But Brad Keselowski, Matt McCall, TJ Majors, and that's the biggest thing. You know how much I love TJ Majors. Yes, you do. The But the best spotter in the sport. He guided Dale Jr. to 
two wins at Daytona and a win at Talladega. He guided Joey Logano to a win at Talladega after Dale Jr. retired. The way that TJ calls a race, the way that he commands a race, and you, I, I love his cadence when he'll be like, and just how quick he's, he is when he's like, he's like, protect the high side, ha <laughs> Yeah. For those reasons alone, and knowing how good Brad is at this style of racing with the six wins at Talladega, and a win at Daytona in July of 2016. Brad Keselowski, my pick to go to victory lane tonight at Daytona International Speedway. And also, when you think of it, taking that American flag for a victory lap around the track, and this would be his first win since his father passed away at the end of 2021. And Brad said... What inspired him to do this move, to go over to Roush and be an owner-driver, was that's how his father made a living, was as an owner-driver, driving for himself. And I cannot think of a better place for this streak to end than at Daytona. God, I wish it would have been in the, the Daytona 500 the last two years. But I think this is the night where all the stars finally align. And he's starting 12th in useless stat. He's starting 12th. Well, guess who started 12th last night? Justin Allgaier. <laughs> so it might be a lucky so, spot. So I'm hoping for some good juju tonight. Yes. Me so, too. so you're saying that basically you feel it's either going to, I mean, maybe an RFK car or a Chastain. Then again, Chastain, he's sort of handcuffed with, with Suarez tonight. And that's the thing. Like he said, he's not leaving Suarez's bumper tonight. So maybe RFK or a 23XI car. <laughs> we will see. Or Denny Hamlin. <laughs> you can't go wrong with either one just of them. To, well, just to piss off all the Hendrick fans. Oh, yes. There'll be a lot of middle fingers flying tonight <laughs> if that and happens. And the booze. <laughs> and the booze. But definitely a lot of cheers, though, if you get Brad driving around there with that American flag. <laughs> oh, I know you'll be cheering your little car out. <laughs> so does Bubba win tonight? <laughs> As a fan, I say yes. <laughs> but realistically, going with your your head instead of your heart. <laughs> if he makes the playoffs, that's all that matters. That's all that I care about. Even even if it's even if it's finishing eighth or so and he's in. Yes. I mean, that's the main goal. Is and I mean, if it gets down to the end, there's a bunch of guys that have already locked in. And you're running solidly up in the top 10. You know, you really don't have to mix it up. Just finish. Like Steve Letarte talked about. Just get to that checkered flag in one piece. Yes. And I think that's the thing. Like, all those guys like Ty Gibbs, Suarez, Bowman, Elliott, if they get eliminated, then Bubba is basically in cruise control the rest of the night. 